2 Timothy, and uh, again, uh, our theme or our title for this series is Standing Strong in the Last Days. 2 Timothy, in way of introduction, let me just say a few things about 2 Timothy. In way of introduction, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter that he wrote that we have in the text of Scripture. There could have been, obviously, him writing other letters to other people, but they were not inspired. They did not have that stamp of inspiration that we see here in 2 Timothy. It is written from a Roman prison, and this was not, you know, like, a, uh, like the prisons that we have in America today. One commentator said, if you visit the city of Rome today, you can see that dungeon, You can go down into it, and as you look around at those bare walls and gaze up at the ceiling, where there is just a little hole in the center from which food was dropped down to Paul and water passed through in some kind of vessel. You get the idea of the suffering he must have endured. I believe the name of it is the Mamertine Dungeon. And I think you can still go there today. It's one place, if we went back to Italy, it's one place I would like to visit and to actually see the place where Paul was. There was no window whatsoever through which to look out to the outside world. A river passed underneath and there is a cleft in the floor where you can look down and see the water running. It must have been cold and damp in there at all times of the year, especially during the winter. So it's kind of interesting. Here is the Apostle Paul. Some see him and many of us see him as like the the outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most outstanding believer and Christian. Obviously, the Lord is Christianity, but Paul, as far as a human sinner, saved by grace, one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all. And yet, where do we find him at the end of his life? We find him in a prison by himself, basically. There were others there that could be with him or visit him, but uh, not a glamorous ending in this life for him. He was in prison earlier in his ministry several times, including at Rome earlier at the end of the book of Acts. During that time, at the end of the book of Acts, that's when he wrote what are called the prison epistles today. Now, in a sense, 2 Timothy is a prison epistle because it's written from prison, but it's not usually included in the other prison epistles. It's considered a pastoral epistle. When his trial was held during his first imprisonment, he was let go for lack of evidence. He continued his ministry all around Europe until he was thrown back into prison. And it is here that 2 Timothy is written. Simply put, Paul finds himself on death row. This is it. He talks about it at the end of the letter that he is soon going to go and be with the Lord. He's also been deserted by most of his friends at this point. After the writing of 2 Timothy, he was martyred for Christ. Now, 2 Timothy was written around 67 AD, which would be about 45, 47 years after Jesus had his ministry. And it was about two or three years after 1 Timothy and Titus were written. Very close, by the way, those two were written very close together. 2 Timothy is written to Timothy. People think 2 Timothy and they say, oh, Timothy wrote it. No, Paul wrote it to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor and Paul wrote it encouraging him to stay strong in a day when the direction of the church, the body of Christ, was deteriorating 
and compromise was setting in. The spiritual war of the ages was going on then, and folks, it's becoming even more obvious to us today that there is a spiritual war going on. And uh, we are, in fact, in the last days before the Lord takes us out. On a personal note, if somebody said to me, you can take one book of the Bible, and that's all you can have, I think I would take 2 Timothy. It is so relatable for a pastor. I'm glad it's considered a pastoral epistle because it is so important, the words that are there. And not only that, you know, we can read and we can all benefit from 2 Timothy, but there's something about concepts in 2 Timothy that are so personal for a pastor to build his life on and consider. And that's what this is about. Of course, we're going to look at it for all of us. This letter is rich in theology. The Bible teaching that we find here is amazing. It also speaks to the days in which we live in a remarkable way and challenges us to be bold as believers and strong in our stand for Christ. It's a gift, as I mentioned, to pastors in particular and ministry concepts that we can relate to that are very, very helpful for every local church. It shows, though, to all of us the challenges before us in days of compromise. And 2 Timothy exhorts us to be faithful, standing strong in the faith, and looking ahead to our eternal reward and our future with the Lord. And that's a concept you can't lose sight of, Christian. Future, our eternal future with Christ. Can I say that? There's a lot of discouraged people right now, and I understand that. A lot of people are tired. A lot of people are tired of the isolation. A lot of people don't like the way that the election has gone so far, by the way. And all the things that are going on, listen, take heart. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the future is bright. It's just a matter of time before we realize that. The message of 2 Timothy is a message that needs to be heard and it needs to be applied. Now, 2 Timothy, by the very title that we give it, obviously it is not written to a specific church, but get this, it is written for the church. It's not like Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians, Colossians, written to specific ministries. No, it's written to the body of Christ. And these are truths that we need to apply. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe, is, uh, and there's no, this is not an official sanction from God or official statement from God, but as I go through 2 Timothy and study it and meditate it, if I was to say, okay, in my mind, this kind of capsulizes, this kind of puts it in perspective, one verse summarizing or putting together what this book is about, and it would be 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, It says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Boy, those are important truths. We'll spend more time on those when we get to chapter four. But with that in mind, open your Bible over here to 2 Timothy chapter one, and we will begin. And to be honest with you, we're not going to race through this book. We're going to take our time. So we are covering all of two verses today in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
2 Timothy 1, verse 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, as we get started, let's look at some foundational issues here with this book of 2 Timothy. And I have three main points that I want to make with this. And they all have to do with the apostle Paul who's writing it. Now, remember where he finds himself. He's in the dark. He's in a damp, miserable place. He's had, what, 40 plus years of ministry, getting beat up, getting stoned, getting ridiculed. He's probably hurting. He's, who knows if he's sick or what. But here's the point. Here he is writing this, and you think, well, the guy would be, he's probably discouraged. Well, you don't find that in 2 Timothy. Maybe a hint of that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, but it is a discouragement, if I want to call it that, in 2 Timothy 4, that he's released. He's released it. He's given it to the Lord. So it's not weighing him down. He's just accepting it for where he finds himself. But he's at the end of his life. And so as we get started here, what do we see in verse one? We see number one, the ministry of Paul. The ministry of Paul. You notice what he says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He was an apostle. Now the word apostle means a sent one. That's all it means. The word apostle means a sent one. While there are no official apostles today, contrary to the Mormon church, contrary to some of the uh, uh, Pentecostal flavors that are out there, while there are no apostles today, we are all sent ones in a practical sense. God has commissioned it to us. Paul is no longer here, folks, and God has commissioned it to us. And he said, listen, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you are now a sent one for me. No, not in an official apostolic capacity, but in a practical realm. And this is so incredibly important. And I think the most challenging thing that we face as Christians, what is that? Sharing our faith. Because if you share your faith, you are basically going to the front lines of the battle and you are saying, I volunteer. I don't mind to get shot at. I don't mind to be ridiculed because you see the need as greater than yourself. You see the need as greater than yourself. Paul said in Romans chapter one and verse 16, he said he was ready to preach the gospel. He says, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that's very interesting in verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed. Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel nor preaching the gospel? Because it is the only way people will escape heaven and end up in heaven. Now understand this, folks. It's not just gonna happen. Well, it'll just happen if they're one of the elect. You don't know what you're talking about. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. A person cannot be saved unless they hear or read the gospel. God just doesn't say, okay, you, I pick you and bam, you're saved now. Now that Calvinism I know Calvinists would get upset with this, but they're a little that way. They believe that God regenerates you before you believe. Did you know that? They believe that. God regenerates you before you believe. That is completely false teaching. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. 
You trust in Jesus Christ the Savior, then you're born again. Regeneration is being born again. Jesus didn't say, you must be born again before you can believe. Jesus said, you need to be born again, and it's through believing that you're born again. This is the message of scripture. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because only the gospel is the power of God into salvation. By the way, folks, that's why we share it in all of our services because we don't know. There may be somebody there who's never yet put their faith in Jesus Christ, the savior. And we don't want people to go to hell. We want them to go to heaven. And I know that we get, I call it soft persecution. We get soft persecution You know, we'll have, when we used to have special events before COVID, you know, we'd have events and people would come. Some people would never come unless it was the same special event every year. So every year they would come. And of course, every special event, the only reason we have special events is so people can hear the gospel and be saved. And so they would come and they'd hear the gospel and they say things like, here he goes again. There he goes. He pulls out the wallet again. Every time I come here, he says the same thing. Okay, then then why don't you come more often if you want to hear something else? Oh no, don't do that. Did it ever occur to you, friend, the reason we say the same thing every time you come is because we want you to be saved. We want you to not spend forever separated from God in hell. We see the ministry of the apostle Paul. He was a sent one. And so are we. God sent Paul into the world with his message. And today he sends us as well. This is your ministry. People say, why? I wish I had a ministry. You already got one. When you got saved, God gave you a ministry. That message you believed, now share it with other people. That's your ministry. That's the main ministry of every Christian. Okay? Secondly, though, we see the foundation of Paul, and I don't want you to miss it in verse one. We see Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the uh, promise, which is in Christ Jesus. Number two, the foundation of Paul. What was it? It was the promise of eternal life. Do you see it? This was his foundation. This is why he did what he did. This is why his life purpose was what it was. This is why he traveled like he did. This is why he put up with the difficulties that he did because he knew he had this foundation. And what was the foundation? It was the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life. The truth and the assurance of salvation gave him the motivation to do what he did as a believer. And it ought to do the same for us. Is this not the same for what God wants for us? And this is only found in the gospel. Now the word gospel means the good news. Back in Romans chapter one in verse 17, it said, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Okay, in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did in being the payment for our sin. He came, he's God in the flesh, he came, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose from the grave the third day. And all who put their faith in him receive eternal life as a free gift. You can't beat that. People say, well, I don't, I don't like your message, I've got, a, I've got a better message. No, you don't. You don't have a better message than what I've got. All my sins have been paid for, the sins of my entire lifetime have been paid for by Jesus Christ. 
and I can't earn my way to heaven because I could never measure up to the standard, but Jesus came, took care of it for me on the cross. He died, was buried, rose from the grave, and he offers me as a free gift, eternal life in heaven. And the moment I trust in him, I'm eternally secure. More about that in a moment. You've got something better? I want to hear it. Well, Jesus is important, but you have to persevere. You have to be faithful to the day you die. Friend, that's not good news. Where's the good news in that? Well, you need to believe, but then you have to be faithful to the day you die. Wouldn't it just be better to wait until you're on your deathbed and believe? Bypass all the work that you're saying we have to do in between? No, it's baloney. Salvation is a gift. This, folks, we can be bold with the message we have because there's nothing better and it's the truth, okay? Don't back down on this. Don't back down. The gospel means good news. Is the message we are preaching good news or bad news? The message we're preaching is good news. Jesus offers eternal life freely to all who believe. That's good news. Because it's not based on what we do, it's based on what Christ has done. You can follow along if you want. You can turn in your Bible. I'm just going to share some scriptures with you. This is a good place in this series to put down this foundation. The foundation of Paul is our foundation as well. John chapter 3 and verse 16. You're probably aware of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That's us. That he gave his only begotten son. God gave us his son to die as our sin substitute on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, it's open to everybody, whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him, two promises, should not perish, means end up in hell, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. This is amazing. And this is the foundation of Paul. You see, eternal security is promised to the believer. That's our subpoint here. Eternal security is promised to the believer. It is found in the very nature of everlasting life. If God gives me, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, believing he died for my sin and paid for them all and rose from the grave, when I trust him as savior, he gives me everlasting life. Do you know what that means? By the very nature of it being everlasting life, it means it never stops. It lasts forever. Now there's a lot of people who say, oh yeah, it's just by faith. But if you don't keep going, keep being faithful, keep doing this, keep doing that, then you can lose your salvation. If you can lose your salvation, it's not everlasting life. It's just not. Kids get this, but adults have the problem with it. We think God puts fine print in the Bible. He does not. His statements are bold. His statements are clear. They are what they are. Friend, if you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he will give you everlasting life. And by the very nature of it being everlasting means you can never lose it and you are secure forever. Now, while it was wonderful that Paul had the Son of God, it is much more powerful that the Son had Paul. Do you understand? Oh, yes, Paul had trusted Christ as Savior. But more importantly, it was the Savior who's holding on to Paul. Look up here. Let me illustrate this. If this was me and this is the Lord Jesus Christ, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I took him as my Savior, and he took hold of me. 
Now, I can have times in my life where my faith may falter or I may sin or I may do something that I shouldn't and all that. That doesn't change the fact that he's holding on to me and he will not let go. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Yet people say, well, but you can jump out. What? Are you stronger than God? Jesus is God. And he says, you can't escape. Once you're his, you're his. He gave you everlasting life, everlasting. That means you can't lose it if you have it. And if you can lose it, you don't have it. You don't have the real thing. Eternal security is promised to the believer. John chapter five and verse 24, look at it. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him, there's the key, believeth on him that sent me, hath, interesting word, it means possesses right now, hath everlasting life, and look what it says, and shall not come into condemnation. This is a promise from Jesus himself. If you understand the gospel and you put your faith in Jesus Christ the Savior, the moment you do, you have everlasting life. And look at the promise, and shall not come into condemnation. That's a promise from God himself, but is past. Now the tense there is, if we were to put it in our language today, has passed. It's a done deal. Has passed from death unto life. Look up here. If you've trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, the moment you trusted Christ the Savior, it's like you went through a door that has no handle on the other side. Once you're in, you're in. You've passed from death unto life. You are in Christ. That is eternal. That can never change. It will not change for any reason at all. You've got it. John chapter 6 and verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, you see the Son, you, you understand about him, everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And that doesn't mean you might. You get that. It's your privilege, okay? Everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is God in the flesh speaking, and he says, if you put your faith in me, I will give you everlasting life, and I promise to raise you up at the last day. Now, folks, the last day, that means it's good for your entire life. Okay, it's good for your entire life. One payment takes care of it all. Calvary covers it all as we sing. Look with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. It says in verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. John says, do you believe what people say? If you believe what people say, can't you believe what God says? Man can make a mistake. Man can lie. Man can deceive. God can't. You can believe what he says. Yes, man can make mistakes. God can't make mistakes either. I can remember when I worked in the grocery business, I worked my way through Bible college in the grocery business and interesting business. Now this doesn't happen very often, but uh, sometimes, you know, you, uh, you, there's, there's canned food and you go to the canned food aisle and you're there and you say, okay, today I'm going to get some 
I'm going to get some corn. And so you see the, okay, where's the corn? Here's the corn. You get the can of corn, you put it in your cart, and then you go and you check out. Well, I can remember one day I was just passing through the front of the store and there was, there was a, a woman that came up to the courtesy desk and they said, may I help you? And she says, yes, I've got this. I need to do an exchange. I, I've got a problem here. And, uh, and they said, well, what is the problem? And she said, well, I got this corn home and I opened it up and there were green beans in there. Somebody messed up in the processing plant, right? Somebody made a mistake. Guess what? When God says everlasting life, you can be sure it's exactly that. It'll never stop. And once you put your faith in Christ the Savior, you have it. 1 John 5, verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. What God has said about his Son and what he did for us on the cross, you need to believe it. If you don't believe it. You are calling God a liar. That's what you're doing. God has given the record. God has given us the truth. God has given us the gospel. And when a person hears it and they don't believe it, they're saying, God, God's a liar. That's not the way it is. That's not true. Now, friend, it is true. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Look what it says in verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Then verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus, God who is our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look what it says, that you may, what's that next word? Know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Can I ask you today, do you know that you have eternal life? Well, I hope so. I I think so. Friend, you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. Well, I thought it did, but I don't feel. Forget about your feelings. Forget about your feelings. It's not a matter of feelings. It's a matter of taking God at his word, believing what he said. That's what faith is. You're taking God at his word. You might say, well, I I don't know if I'm saved or not. Get it settled right now. Will you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you do... He says, you can know that you have eternal life. Do you trust Christ? Well, yeah. Do you know you have eternal life? Well, I'm not sure. Wait a minute. God says you can know. Are you going to call God a liar? He says you can know. Well, I'm not going to call. Well, then put your faith in Christ. Okay, I trust him as my savior. Then let me ask you this. Do you know you have eternal life? Well, I hope so. (laughs) Friend, God says you can know. He's given you a written guarantee. This is a written guarantee. You can know you're going to heaven. Will you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? 1 John 2.25. And this is the promise that he has promised us. What? Eternal life. Even eternal life. The word even there is italicized in the, in the Greek text. 
eternal life. This is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. How do you receive it? By trusting in Jesus Christ, the Savior. God's promised us. He promised. He says, I promise you, I will give you everlasting life if you'll put your faith in my son as your Savior. Friend, you can know you're going to heaven. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now, it's interesting here in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, the word eternal and the word world are actually the same Greek word. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before eternity began. Now, that's a mind blower right there. Before the ages, before time, before any measure of time began, God promised eternal life to those who would trust in his son as savior. Are we getting this? Do we see the power of this? We have the promise because it is based on what Christ has done, not on what we do. That's why God can guarantee eternal life because it's not based on what we do. If it was based on what we do as far as faithfulness and perseverance and our works, you could never know you have eternal life. And that's exactly, by the way, what Calvinism believes. You cannot know you have eternal life until you die, they say. They say you have to persevere in the faith. You have to stay faithful your entire life. Oh, you can flub up a few times. How many is a few? Well, uh, you'll know. No, you won't. That's ridiculous, okay? Here's the truth of it. God's standard is perfection. You have to be perfect to get to heaven. None of us are. That's why Jesus came. It is not based on what we do. That's why we can know we have eternal life now because we haven't lived our lives, our whole lives, but I don't have to live a faithful life to get to heaven. Therefore, I can know now because it's not based on what I do. It's based on what Christ has already done for me. Look up here. Here we are. We're sinners. Our sin separates us from God. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless. None of us are. God says our sin has to be paid for. We're either going to pay for it or somebody's going to be a substitute for us. If you pay for your own sin, you'll have to spend forever separated from God in hell. God doesn't want that for any one of us. That's why he sent his son. Because we could not earn our way to heaven. We are already flawed. We are already sinners. We are already lost. We're separated from God already. And we can't do one thing about it in ourselves because God says you have to be perfect and none of us are, therefore we're disqualified. But God sent Jesus to be the rescue, to be the savior. He came, this hand representing him, he went to the cross and he made the payment for our sin that we have to have. We have to have a payment for our sin. Jesus made it for us. He was buried, he rose from the grave and the Bible says if you Put your faith in him that he made that payment for you. He'll give you as a gift, everlasting life, as a gift. What about the way I live my life? Oh, it's good to live a good life. It's good to do good works, but you're not saved by good works, friend. You're not saved by good works. Look at, look at it, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. There it is again, believing. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
See, again, we have this promise because it is based on what Christ has done, not on what we do. Notice in verse one, it says, to the promise of life. Where is the promise of life found? In my good works? No. The promise of life is found in Christ Jesus. That's a glorious truth. That's relief because me getting to heaven is not based on what I do. It's based on what he did and his payment was perfect. And when I trust in him as savior, the payment he made is put to my account and he gives me everlasting life. If you have to live a good life of works to maybe make it to heaven one day, you will never make it. There could be no assurance if it is based on our performance. No assurance. If you're honest, well, whether you're honest or not, no assurance based on your performance. And there's no good news in that, that if it depends on your performance, you go to heaven. No, there's no good news because we're all guilty and we are all condemned, which leads us to our third point. And I think we're already getting this. What have we seen? We've seen the ministry of Paul. He's an apostle. He's a called, he's a sent one, okay? God saved him and sent him just like he did us. We see the foundation of Paul. The foundation of Paul was the gospel and it was eternal life and it's eternal security. And what does that lead to? Number three, we see the boldness, the boldness of Paul. See, here's the truth, folks, and I want you to really think about this. And this is where this really, for those of us who are already saved, this is where it really strikes home or should for you and me. To know for sure that you are going to heaven regardless of what happens to you gives you boldness and courage to serve the Lord. Now, I know most of us have the idea, well, real persecution will really never happen in America. It's happening. It's happening, and there's a very good chance it's going to get a lot worse. And folks, listen, I'm not trying to worry you, but I am. It's my job to get us prepared for what may come. Do you understand? Without freaking out, without losing sleep over it, I don't lose sleep over this, but I do know this. If they came in here today and said, you know what, you are going to die for your faith, I would say, I'm going to heaven. Go ahead. I'm going to heaven. Pastor, do you really mean that? I really mean that. Do we see it this way? Is this real in our lives to where we would say, you know what? I am willing to offer my life if that's what it takes because I have everlasting life. See, the leadership of the world, the governments, they were frustrated with Paul. The religious establishment, they were frustrated with Paul. Do you know why? They couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop him. You better stop. I'm not going to stop. We'll throw you in jail. Kept preaching the gospel in jail. Got out of there. Went, preached the gospel some more. Came back. Okay, this is it. You're going to die. That's where he finds himself in 2 Timothy. He says, okay. He says in chapter 4, the time of my departure is at hand. By the way, he knew where he was going. His departure was from this world into the presence of God, and he remained faithful. Folks, it could come to that one day. I hope it doesn't in America. I hope it doesn't. But here's the point. There are Christians all over the planet who are suffering martyrdom as we speak. It's going on. 
It's just not happening here yet, but it is going on. See, these are eternal truths. And it doesn't matter where you live, they're true nonetheless. Are we willing to be bold? Are we willing to be courageous with the gospel? Even if it means we are going to come under persecution as the body of Christ. The old saying, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's a good one, isn't it? It's a good one. We see Paul. He wasn't afraid to die because he had everlasting life. You know what they thought? They thought this. Well, you know what we'll do? We'll shut him up. We'll cut his head off. That's what they did. And guess what? He's still speaking. He's still speaking. He's speaking today from this letter. Do we understand what victory there is in Jesus Christ? What amazing, amazing truths are found here. Our security and our guaranteed home in heaven, which, which is with the Lord and everlasting life, should create in us, folks, a boldness for Christ. Knowing, as the great hymn, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Look down the page in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have delivered unto him against that day. The Lord would take care of him. Paul says, I know that. He says, I'm in, I'm in good day. I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me. Right? And that's why he was so bold. 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 2, it says, To Timothy. All that was in verse 1, by the way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. Now, you know what? This is the attitude of Paul as he's waiting to die. It says, grace, mercy, and peace to you, Timothy. Hardly the way most people would respond at this point in their lives. He had invested all these years in service to the Lord. Where does he find himself? In a damp, dark, probably rat-infested dungeon. But you know what? He's good because he has eyes of faith. He sees it as God does. Paul prayed that the Lord would pour out on Timothy these three things. Grace, God's unmerited kindness. And listen, if you're going to serve the Lord, you need the grace of God on your life. You need God's unmerited favor, God's unmerited kindness. Mercy, the word means compassion. We need the Lord to have compassion on us for us to show it to other people. And God is compassionate towards us and merciful. And peace, we need peace so that we can keep our focus without quitting and without fainting. Can we have peace in the midst of trials, in the midst of turmoils? Yes, we can. We keep our eyes on him, and he will give that to us. One last passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Pastor, how is it that Paul just kept going and going? He was like an energizer bunny. I mean, he just kept going and going and going. It didn't seem like anything could stop him. 
And by the way, did he ever get discouraged? Yes, he did. Bible says he did. Was he ever fearful? Yes, he was. Bible says he was. But he kept going. And he ran the race and he ran it effectively. It's perspective. Perspective based on his position in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, for our light affliction. Light affliction? Man, he was beat up, chased, stoned, whipped for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Ah, there you go. It's perspective. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the key in standing strong. This perspective our foundation. We have eternal security. We know we're saved. We know we're going to be with the Lord. We have everlasting life. Therefore, no matter what takes place in this life, we know that we're going to be with the Lord when all is said and done. Let me ask you this today. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know you have eternal life? We covered a lot of scriptures having to do with this today. All you need to do is put your trust in Christ. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.